Welcome to Life Changing Money, a podcast all about one of the most taboo topics in the world, money. I'm your host, Barbara Shrehan, and we're going behind the scenes on business owners' journeys to money, success, and wealth. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Life Changing Money. I'm so excited because I have my friend Whitney here. Hello, and welcome to the show. Hey, girl. Hey, so glad to be here. So tell our listeners what you do now today. Mm -hmm. I'm a business coach today, and I also run a marketing firm for real estate professionals. So I don't work exclusively with real estate people, but in one company, I sort of handle marketing for real estate agents. And then in the other one, I teach a lot of people how to build additional revenue streams inside their businesses and launch those with ease. How did you get into that? Um, by starting a lot of businesses that went really well. <laughs> oh, so, okay. Tell me more. The long answer, um, the long answer is that I ended up having children. I spent 10 years in high pressure fundraising and sales. And then I had children and my priorities completely shifted, which I think if you're a woman with children listening, then you probably can relate to in some way the feeling of recognizing. Ooh, me going to someone else, going to work for someone else, if I'm not passionate about that work, feels like a rub now that I'd rather be around my children. So I had to sort of rethink what my priorities were after the kids came. And I ended up starting a business on maternity leave with my first. That's how immediate and serious I was about like, ooh, this is not it. Yeah. And so by the time I had my second child 20 months later, which I do not recommend, mm -hmm. um, I had made up the revenue that I needed to be able to leave that job and come home. And so I built four successful businesses leveraging social media, primarily online, either coaching or thought leadership space. They went really well. And people started asking me, what are you doing that I am not doing? Because clearly something is working for you if you're continuing to pull this volume of clients. And I just need to understand uh, what it is that you're doing. And so I ended up mentoring people. Uh, and that went really well. And I found this spark, this joy and excitement of taking on that coaching role. And that was five years ago. And I haven't looked back since. So what were you doing that was working yeah. so well? So the first business was direct sales. So at the first, the thing that I started on maternity leave was in direct sales. And I ended up, that's what I ended up making up my income in that I needed to come home. But then after that, I got certified in a health coaching program and was running like a six week health coaching program. And that went crazy gangbusters. Um, and that's the one that really sort of skyrocketed. And all of my peers were saying, what are you doing that I'm not doing? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, left the health and wellness space and now primarily work with people who are either coaches in any capacity or they potentially are in another industry and they want to build additional revenue streams that are digital. Amazing. And mm -hmm. how did you, one of our good mutual friends is Kristen Cantrell. So how did you guys meet? And then now I know you're on stages and mm -hmm. talking speaking, to everybody. Talking to everybody. And speaking is so much fun because, um, I just think when people pay to get in a room like that, they're ready for change. And so there's some sort of like energy and enthusiasm that you just cannot manufacture. It's one thing if I get on the internet and I talk about uh, things that you can do to grow your business uh, and anybody is seeing it at any point in the journey. But when you pay to come into a room, it's totally different. I met Kristen. She became a client of mine. Um, we met through social. I think I had a former client um, that knew her and had recommended me to her and we ended up working together and to witness what she's done uh, since our time working together has been magical. It's the best part of being a coach is being yeah. able to keep up with your clients later and watch them really thrive, which is super cool. 
And we both spoke at one of her retreats in Florida a couple of months ago. And we're going to be having another retreat, which is so cool. So this retreat is going to be in California, in Paso Robles, California, which is like beautiful wine country. So tell our listeners what you'll be speaking about, because I know a ton of our listeners are always asking me when I'm having more retreats and I can only host so many retreats without being exhausted. So come to this retreat. Exactly. And that's the cool part about having friends who do this. Like our, our skill sets all just complement each other so much that we just get the game together quarterly in a different location. And then we can all take turns being in charge of planning it. So we really have, only have to plan one, which is lovely. Um, but I can't wait for this one. And I'm going to be talking specifically about building business, whether it's building additional revenue streams or really firming up the way that you're marketing your business online to gain more traction. And I'm going to be doing a hot coaching session where people it's like, no question off the table. We can tear things apart. We can build additional revenue streams, like whatever it is that you want to do uh, in your business. You're going to have me there as your resident business coach to help do that, which is really going to be fun. Ah, So fun. Mm -hmm. And something I noticed like when I first saw you and met you is I was like, dang, I love her confidence. And I know you even speak about confidence. So where did that come from? And I, I know all of us could use a little more confidence. I love this question because people ask me where it comes from. And I will tell you, it doesn't come from anywhere other than hard work (laughs) because confidence is a skill and is a muscle. It is not a trait. And so if you're out there listening and you're thinking, gosh, Barb seems so confident. Whitney seems so confident. I wish I could be that confident. I want you to understand fundamentally um, that is available to you and that is cultivated through practice. And so on my podcast, Capture Confidence, we talk a ton about the skills that you need to build for confidence. And I never really set out to be an authority on confidence, but it it was a natural byproduct because a lot of the women that I were I was working with, they struggled with confidence. So we'd make these business plans and we'd make these marketing plans and then they would kind of crap the bed and they wouldn't actually do the work that needed to get done because they were lacking confidence. So I'm like, okay, well, what can I do to help them build the muscle of confidence so they will go and do the things that we have planned? And over time, uh, my partner and I, Stephanie, we host uh, conferences and our podcasts and all sorts of fun things together. We came up with a formula that we have tested to death and it works literally in every arena. It doesn't matter what you're trying to build confidence in. If it's confidence in your body, if it's confidence in your mothering and confidence in going out and asking for more business, the formula is simply positive self-talk plus action plus repetition. And when you do those over and over and over again, over time, you build that confidence muscle, right? So we speak nicely. We say, and it's not like a slap on the butt and a you've got this, it has to be something you actually believe. So if you don't feel confident in the work that you're doing, perhaps start with, I, my heart is in the right place with this work, right? Which you will fundamentally believe. So start with something that's positive that you believe, and then you're going to rip the bandaid. You're going to do a thing that's hard and you're going to realize you didn't die. And then you're going to do it again. And over time, that's how it grows. I love that. I'm about to hike Mount Kilimanjaro by the time this podcast comes out, I will have hiked it and made it to the top and I just keep visualizing it. But the finding the confidence to be like, I'm going to get up this damn mountain has been a little hard. I got to imagine you've been listening to like a lot of mental 
podcasts getting ready for this, right? Like you, you can do, by the time your body tells you that you're, that you're done, you really have like 50% left in the tank kind of stuff. Are you listening to this to try and get yourself ready? You know, what's funny is I don't listen to podcasts and I have a podcast and we're listening to this podcast, but I just Mm -hmm. don't listen to them. I learn like reading a book on a piece of paper. Like I have to turn the pages and feel it and underline it and write it. And so I suppose some mindset books. Here's a trick that you can try when you're on the mountain and you're questioning your sanity. Tell me. This is a thing that I do and this sounds sick, but it works for me. <laughs> um, if I am in a circumstance where I want to quit or where I think I can't do anymore, I just think to other things in my life that I've done that have been harder. And then I'm like, well, if you did that and that was harder, you can do like one step more. And so I just keep like replaying that over and over in my head. So if it's like, hey, you know, yeah, this is terrible, but you had a baby without drugs. So surely to God, we can take one more step, right? That was the first thing I thought of when you said like, you've done something hard. I'm like, man, I had all natural childbirth twice. And, um, but then I'm like, but actually maybe this is the hardest thing. So then like that doubt creeps in of like, but this is like nine days. Childbirth was like 12 hours. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You're going to sleep and you're going to rest. It's not nine consistent you know, you're going to break. All right. It's going to be fine. I believe in you. When, how old were you when you started your first business? Business? Oh my God. Okay. I was 29. So then growing up, what were some of the money mindsets that you heard maybe from family or parents or friends that you remember? So like everyone, I have a very complicated history with money. Um, My parents split up when I was in late elementary school and my dad was really successful and my mom stayed at home with me. And when they split up, he did not have her best interests at heart and he tried to hide money from her in the process. But my mom was really wicked smart and she knew that he was doing it. And so it took probably two years for their divorce to be finalized because of money wasn't over custody wasn't over anything else it was because of money Mm -hmm. and at the time that my parents split up we were living in a house and I didn't know any of this at the time but like now I know it and so it like Mm -hmm. you know adds to the fabric of the story the house that we lived in in this lovely neighborhood this affluent wonderful neighborhood was owned by my grandmother's best friend and she let us stay there for like two hundred dollars a month Because my mom literally couldn't have afforded it otherwise. And so I remember whenever that time period, my first like money memory, um, and this sticks with me, but like, I remember going through that time period and my mom used to love to order Diet Cokes when we would go out to eat and she wouldn't get them anymore because we couldn't afford them. And I remember that feeling of like being able to afford something and then not being able to afford something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, of course there's so much work that comes with unraveling all of that and trying to reset to a neutral place around money whenever it was abundant and then it wasn't, right? Going into adulthood and you became successful and the money started coming in, did it ever cross your mind of like, oh, it can go away? Because that's what it did for mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it got worse. Honestly, my first 100K month, I was a nervous wreck. (laughs) I was a nervous wreck because all I kept thinking was, oh shit, you have to do it again. I remember that too. Or like, can I, can I even do this again? Or it's not possible to do it again. Have you done it again? Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, I've also not done it again. And that means sure. like that you make it mean a thing, right? Like when you do that, when you have successful like benchmarks in your revenue and you make it mean a thing, if for some reason your revenue dips below that thing, that, that line, whatever that line is for you, maybe it's 10 K months or maybe it's a hundred K months. Who knows? I mean, everybody has a different sort of thermometer and threshold, but mm-hmm. I remember thinking, oh my God, like I have to, and I, and I busted my butt to pull that first one off. So I remember thinking, um, how in the world am I going to have the gas in the tank to do this over and over and over again? And honestly, the first month that I didn't uh, hit hundred K in a, in a 30 day period after that, it was a really good thing for me because I was like, well, nothing bad happened. Like it's yeah. okay that, it, that, that wasn't a thing. So then when you start making money, like hundred K months, what were some of your like budgeting or saving tips or you're like, I have to put this much away for this or, you know, what are your saving tactics? Well, you know, child retirement, because those first couple of years of entrepreneurship where you're scrappy and you're not making much and everything is going back into the business and you are like forgetful of the fact that there's not a company that's just putting money aside on your behalf. Mm -hmm. So getting retirement was a very huge portion of that process. And then honestly, for me, at the time that I was transitioning into this place where my business was growing and I was making that kind of revenue, I was working my butt off. I was working so hard. So the biggest play for us was outsourcing that work, was outsourcing a lot of that work so that I could get better balance in my life so that I could pull back and breathe a little bit and be present with my kids. My kids still are like sass me to death about the volume of work that I do and what they don't know. They don't really realize that they're fortunate because I stop working at three o'clock in the afternoon when they get off the bus. Um, And so like when they're home from school, they're home from school and I'm here and they don't have any idea how hard I had to work to get to a place where I could do that. Yeah, for sure. Are you the breadwinner in your family? Yeah. So actually my husband was an engineer um, and he hated his job. And that same month that I hit my first 100K month is the month that he left that corporate job to come home and become a woodworker. And, you know, he had this, he had this dad who worked really, really, really hard, like slaved away and um, had no fun, like no, no hobbies, nothing. And then once he was of retirement age, he got Alzheimer's. So he never got to enjoy any of it. And we spent the last decade, you know, helping take care of him with his mother. And Brian is looking at our kids and he's like, man, why in the world would I give the years I know I've got away when, when this is going so great? And, and I'm, I am a number one proponent of, of entrepreneurship. Like if you can figure out a way to make money doing something that brings you joy, oh my God, go. Um, But also like him coming home, that's another sort of like mind screw of the safety net being gone too. Yeah. It's all on you. Right. You're like, Mm -hmm. crap. And Mm -hmm. I read a statistic because we just came out with a retirement course. And so I was trying to, I was looking up all these statistics and I read the average number of social security checks someone gets is 22. Isn't that wild? Like to your point of this man worked his whole life And we all work our whole life to get to retirement. But once we get there, we have 22 paychecks. And that's all you have for those trips you've been wanting to go on. And, you know, all that time, quote unquote, that you have to spend with your kids or grandkids now. Like, it's just not there. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it feels scary as hell to do it a different way. It feels really wild to say, yeah, it's all on us and we're not going to have that steady paycheck. We're, we're going to be building our own thing, Yeah, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Right. So when you hit that hundred K month and your husband quit his job, was that a conversation you had prior of like, okay, when I hit a hundred K month, you're going to quit? Or was he like, I want to quit or it happened. And then he's just like, I'm out. It's coincidental that it was the hundred K month because I'd had, you know, we were growing steadily at that point. So it wasn't like it was a surprise that we hit a one. It wasn't like I went from 30 to 100, like from one month to the next, it was clear yeah. we were moving in that direction and we were pretty close. So we had had continued conversations about it. It was coincidental that the first month I hit 100 K was the month that he left. Um, but I will tell you, like, I did not anticipate the mental work I would have to do once he made that decision. Like I thought he was going to come home and I'd be like, yeah, let's go. But really what happened was he came home and I was like, woo, girlfriend's got some extra pressure on her back, even though like no one was putting it on me, but me. Right. Yeah. And what about, so my husband just quit the military in November. So we're kind of in this new phase as well. Was there like, a mind fuck for lack of a better word that he went through that he had to get through about money. And now his wife is making it all. And so I am really lucky in the respect that Brian has always said that I, I am his retirement plan. He has always known that my earning potential vastly out outweighed <laughs> his, even though he always made more than me, like in a corporate setting, he ran circles around me. Right. But he has always just said, this girl's going to do something. He's always been that way. So he seemed and if he, if he went through it, he never shared any of that with me. Like he seemed totally fine. He's like, yeah, girl, earn more than me. Get after it. Like go right on. <laughs> so now what are some of the things that you're loving investing in now that you are making more money? Mm -hmm. So I love being able to invest in things like real estate, which feel really like expansive and fun. And just the, the act of being able to like decorate a place, which is very creative. Like, so you're taking your money and you're not investing it in some like bank account. You know, it's like, yeah. it's so like the stock market is so lame to someone like wow. me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just feel like, Oh, Chad, I can't with that. I mean, we do, right? <laughs> like be safe and smart and diversify the way that you're investing your money. But like to me, real estate is so much more fun. We have a property that's um, about an hour outside of town that is all wooded. And so we're building cabins out there and we're going to turn it into like a couple of different Airbnbs. But I want to have a, a big lodge on the property that we can use for retreats. <gasps> and then everybody will have their small cabins they can go stay on. So that's I been love that. the bulk of where we're putting it. And is that in Ohio? Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned ending your workday at three o'clock. What are some like systems and processes you had to put in place? Because I know a lot of our business owners listening feel like they're working 24 seven. Mm -hmm. This was a boundary exercise for me, not for others. So I recognized that a lot of my clients and a lot of my team didn't really expect me to work late. It's that I had a volume of work that needed to get done. And I told myself I couldn't get it done in the time period that it needed to when really it was just my own expectations of how quickly we were delivering on things or how quickly we'd throw a launch together. And once I, I, I kind of started the process by saying, I'm only going to take client calls from noon 
to four. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to shift client calls from 11 to three. And then I'm going to see if I can get my administrative work done in one hour less, right? By time blocking and being a little bit more strategic and also by extending how long it took us to put certain things together. So there was no more, Ooh, I'm going to launch this thing and then popping it up in three days and working like a crazy person to do it, which I frequently did in the beginning parts of my business when I was a woman possessed, right? And there's something to be said for enthusiasm and excitement for or building things and wanting to get it into the world, but would it kill you? Would your enthusiasm go away if you took maybe twice as long to get it ready? Probably not. You'd probably have the gas in the tank to actually sell it by the time you had it built, right? So and you probably a lot of make ad- more money. Yeah, girl. <laughs> so it's a lot of those kinds of adjustments. Um, and I have uh, in the beginning, probably four years ago, when I when I had a, a much higher caseload of one on one clients, I had bad boundaries about communication. A lot of the people that were hiring me were my friends, and they had my phone number, and they would text me. Now clients don't have my phone number until we're done working together. Or if we already are friends and they're hiring me, I just am upfront about like no business on the text threads situation. So being really crystal clear about that with people who do have my phone number, but like, I also do not give my phone number out anymore unless it's like, we're going to be good friends kind of a thing. I'm real cagey about it. Actually, you should see me in person. If somebody asks me for my phone number and I don't want to give it to them, I am so awkward because I'm like, Oh, and I'll like turn around and start talking to someone else. Like I will literally avoid the conversation to not have to be like, you're not you're not it. I'm not going to give you this number. You know what I do in that situation? Tell me, is it less awkward? So, so they'll be like, so what's your phone number? And I'm like, oh, add me on Instagram on just DM me. Mm-hmm. And it like changes the subject. Now they have to open an app for Instagram. I'm like, okay, it's your tax coach. And then they like have forgotten. And, and then, then you do the turnaround and talk to someone. Else. Yeah. We're going to have to do that because I've been so awkward about it. And I'm like, oh, or, or I'll be like, you give me your number and I'll text you and I'll like take their number, but I won't text them. Mm. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you work with a lot of people on launching, mm-hmm. launching courses or products as well, or like mainly courses, mainly courses or like digital or like program, any kind of programming stuff, more thought leadership stuff as opposed to product. Although um, I do have some clients that launch products, but I think it's just a little bit more customized. Yeah. So a ton of our clients are online coaches and they do a ton of programs, masterminds or retreats or courses. So what would be your biggest piece of advice for someone that wants to launch a new course? Um, My biggest piece of advice is to stop just trying to sell on the internet before you've appropriately primed your audience first. Okay. Hi. So please make sure that you're adding value, that you're qualifying your audience, that you're planting seeds of the problems that your thing that you're selling solves well in advance to saying, Hey, this thing is for sale. So someone listening is probably like, what does she mean by qualifying? Mm -hmm. So like, let's just say, for example, that you've got 10,000 people following you on the internet. In order for you to be successful at building an additional program, you're going to have to qualify if a certain subset of your audience is interested in the thing that you're thinking about building. So you're going to be asking lots of questions of your audience like, hey, are you struggling with this thing? Hey, when you go to do this thing, what happens for you? So you're getting them to 
to think about what the process is. You're getting them to acknowledge, ooh, I have a, a roadblock here when I'm trying to do a certain thing, whether it's in my business or my life, right? So you're qualifying them by making sure that there is interest in the thing that you're selling um, by asking the right questions. I love that. Mm. What's one piece of money advice that you wish you had before you started in business? Um, Money is neutral. Oh, amen to that. Money is neutral. And um, gosh, we, we make up, it's the same thing with, with stories about the way people perceive us. We make up so many stories in our heads about how, how people perceive us, what they think of us what, how they'll perceive a thing that we do. Money is no different. And so we make up a lot of stories about money and how it's either hard to get or how there's not enough of it or how, uh, we can't let it go because what if we need it for a rainy day? All of these stories that we make up when in reality, money is neutral. Um, and the energy that we put around it is really what manifests the outcome of what's happening. And that was a really, that was a really hard thing, um, that I had to work deeply to figure out. I love that. Are there any books that you've read that have helped you get over oh your God, so many? Money you're benefits? a ba- you're a badass with money. That's a good one. Okay, so now I have like rapid fire questions. You can't think about them too much. Okay. Okay. What's your next big hairy audacious goal? Mm, speaking on more stages, big stages, big like quantify it for me, manifest it. Yeah, like stages with five thousand people in the room. Okay. What's your secret guilty pleasure when it comes to spending money? Oh, when it comes to spending money, your girl is high maintenance to be low maintenance. So there's like a lot of things that happen when it comes to the blowouts and the lashes and the manicures and the things. And it's just so many things so that I can wake up and not look like a trash panda. Same. I love it. What's a one item in your house that you can afford to replace, but you haven't and it's like raggedy or old or... I feel like everything, not everything, but like we, uh, we bought a house that needs a lot of love. And so we just kind of like slap paint on things that we know we could like afford to, I don't know why we don't like renovate. We can afford to change things and we just don't. I'm like, ah, it's fine. We'll get around to it. Our excuse is that the kids are small and like messy. So there's no point right now. Okay. If you could have dinner with any successful entrepreneur, who would it be? Oprah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. What would you ask her? Be my best friend. <laughs> you just tell her. <laughs> yeah. Oprah, please be my best friend. That's what I would ask her. Okay. Do you have room in your heart for an, a 37-year-old adopted child? <laughs> <laughs> she would say yes. <laughs> if you had to start a business with only $100, mm. what kind of business would you start? Without a doubt, a digital-based business. And honestly... It's how I've built every single one. I mean, I built them scrappy with nothing to start every single one of them. I would start a business around thought leadership and your expertise and teaching people how to accomplish the things you've accomplished. If you could eliminate one financial worry or stress from your life forever, what would it be? Healthcare. That's Mm -hmm. a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. What is your definition of life-changing money? Life-changing money is the ability to literally decide on a dime to do anything that you want to do without having to worry about whether or not you can. Yes. So where can our listeners find you? 
You can find me on the good old Instagram at Whitney Abraham. If you're interested in finding another podcast that bends towards women and confidence, you can look up cap- capture your confidence. We're always talking about ways to build that confidence muscle over there. Um, that's usually the best spot. Well, thank you so much for being on. I can't wait to hang out in Paso. In I know you guys December. come and be with us in California. Can't wait. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Changing Money. Don't forget to subscribe. And I would love if you left a review and shared it with your friends. See you next time.